You're listening to the Top Knots and Double Shots podcast, where we believe every woman deserves to be happy, healthy, and totally fulfilled. We're breaking through the mom guilt, quitting that negative self-talk, and diving into how to find your joy, your passion, and your tribe. I'm your host, Amanda Masterson. So throw your hair into a top knot, grab a cup of coffee, and let's chat. Welcome back. Okay, so the title of this episode was probably a little clickbaity, I have to admit. But I want to be clear in the beginning that I don't have a favorite child. But if you're a mom and you're being honest, you gotta admit that if you have more than one child, then at times you might like one child's behavior more than the others. You may connect to one child more easily than the other. One child may have a more complacent and pleasing personality. You may feel more positive emotions towards one child one day and then the other child another day. So today we are going to talk about favoritism among your kids. I hope this episode will provide some valuable insight and practical tips that you can easily begin implementing. I know when I opened this episode that you probably responded in one of the following ways. One, your heart sunk a little and a pit formed in your belly because this is something you either feel guilty about or you are trying super hard to avoid in your motherhood journey. Two, you rolled your eyes and almost turned this episode off because you know you don't do this or maybe you only have one child. So yeah, they are your favorite. But hang with me. You can take away some nuggets from this episode too. Or three, you immediately got kind of defensive. And in that case, you really need to listen to this episode. Okay, so grab your coffee, throw your hair in a top knot, and let's get to it. I'll start by sharing with you that for me, this topic weighs heavily on my mama heart and often creeps in his mom guilt for me. But with twins who have drastically different personalities and needs, I feel like this is always in the forefront of my mind. And I'm not perfect, nowhere near. So when I catch myself doing something or saying something that could be perceived as favoritism, that's when the mom guilt creeps in. And I want to just say a few things before we really dive in today. First of all, I believe it's important to love your kids uniquely, not equally. And we'll talk about what that means in more detail later. But also, it's perfectly natural and healthy even to like or dislike one child's behavior more at different times. I also want you to know that I'm not saying you love one child more than the other. God knows your heart, girlfriend. And if you struggle with this issue, I hope my words help you today. But I also want to encourage you to spend time in prayer over this. Let's first define favoritism. The dictionary defines it as, quote, the practice of giving unfair preferential treatment to one person or group at the expense of another, end quote. Favoritism can create tension and resentment. And these feelings, if not dealt with appropriately, can lead to negative dynamics that can persist into adulthood. Favoritism or perceived favoritism can stress relationships, decrease self-esteem and self-worth, and even impact overall success in the professional work setting. 
I want to draw attention to the fact that I said perceived favoritism. Because it's important to realize that a lie perceived as truth affects the person's life as if it were true. So it doesn't matter whether you actually show favoritism. What matters is if your children perceive that you show favoritism. It's also important to realize you can't change something you can't define, which is exactly why we are diving into this today. Favoritism can be manifested in many different ways, and there are various factors that influence favoritism. Let's talk about those first. Gender can play a role in influencing favoritism. Oftentimes, parents identify with the child of the same sex more easily. Or sometimes it's the exact opposite, as with the mama's boy or daddy's princess roles. Birth order also can be a major influencer. Firstborn children often can be favored because they had one-on-one time with mom and dad that younger siblings never had. Another major influencer, and I think this is the biggest, is a child's individual personality and behavior. You will naturally connect more to your child that has a similar love language as you. If you and your child give and express love in the same manner, you're much more likely to connect more easily with each other. It's just easier because it's natural. Notice that I did not say that it's easier to connect with your child that has a similar personality to you. If both you and your child are strong-willed, maybe even stubborn and individualistic, then it's going to be very easy for your personalities to clash. A child's personality can also influence favoritism. A strong-willed child that often pushes back on rules and authority is going to receive more discipline, harsher punishments, and less rewards than a child who is passive or who is a natural people pleaser. And although these things may be warranted and driven by that child's behavior, it can still easily be perceived as favoritism. Further, it's much easier to become very frustrated with that child who's always testing your patience and pushing the limits. So how is favoritism manifested? What exactly do we do as parents to either show favoritism or cause our children to perceive that we show favoritism? Let's talk about six ways favoritism can occur. Number one, you spend more time with one child than another. This can happen when one child likes the same things that you like. For example, one child loves to bake with you and the other doesn't. This can occur due to age. Maybe you spend more time with your toddler when their big brother or sister starts kindergarten. Or this can occur because of gender. For example, as a mom, you spend more time with your daughter doing girl things, while a dad may spend more time with a son doing boy things. Two, you give more affection to one child. This often occurs because of the child's personality or love language, like we talked about a little bit before. For example, my son's love language is physical touch. He always wants to sit with me on the couch. He's always up for hugs and he is content when he's holding my hand. My daughter, on the other hand, is less physically affectionate. Not to say she's not at all. I can always count on her for an Eskimo kiss and hug, but she's less likely to want to sit on my lap, hold my hand, or accept a random hug or kiss on the forehead. 
I'm just over here praying that this persists when she starts dating at 30 years old. Peyton's love language is primarily words of affirmation. She'd much rather be told she's beautiful or she is an amazing artist or that she can make an awesome Play-Doh snake than she would want a hug. So even though it's often the child driving the level of affection given, it can still be perceived as favoritism. Number three, you give more privileges to one child or you give less discipline. Again, this is most often driven by the child's behavior. The child, though, is likely still going to only remember the discipline or the lack of privileges and not their own behavior that caused those things. Number four, comparing your children to another sibling. Number five, you either talk about one child more often, remember, they hear everything we say, or talking to one child more often. And six, frequently siding with one child over another. And this can be easy to do, especially if, like I said, one child is more apt to push the limits. I know that when I hear Peyton and Caden fighting, it's usually going to be Peyton who pinched her brother, kicked her brother, took a toy, whatever it might be. But if I get into the habit of always taking Caden's side and blaming Peyton when somebody comes to me in a quarrel, then that could easily be perceived as favoritism. All of these manifestations of favoritism can be very easy to do. And I believe they can all easily be done with pure intentions. After all, we talked about the fact that the child's behavior often drives what can be perceived as favoritism. And it's always going to be easier to pay more attention to the squeaky wheel, so to speak. The child who talks the loudest, cries the loudest, whines the loudest, is naturally going to get more of our attention. The first step in working to not exhibit favoritism with our children is to recognize how it occurs and be mindful in your own actions. Once you recognize these manifestations and work to avoid them, you can also work on intentional actions to not only avoid favoritism, but to create an environment with your children where, if you do slip up and you're going to because you're human, it won't negatively impact their overall well-being. So, five things that you can do starting today. One, praise their individuality instead of comparing. I know how hard it is to not compare, especially with twins. I've been comparing them since birth to ensure they are developing typically and really because it's so interesting to me how different yet alike they can be. But I've also found myself saying things like, why can't you be good like your brother right now? That's the kind of comparing we want to avoid. Number two, create an atmosphere of support between them rather than competition. Kids naturally want to compete. They want to compete to be the best, compete for attention, compete for the spot on the couch beside mom, or compete to be the one who gets to close the garage door this time. At least those are some of the things my kids compete over. They often ask me, Who's taller? Am I faster than Peyton? Am I stronger than Caden? 
And although the truth is that Peyton is right now taller and a little faster and maybe even a little stronger, encouraging a competitive atmosphere between them is not going to be beneficial for anybody. So my go-to response is normally, it doesn't matter who's taller, faster, stronger. It's not a competition. Number three, avoid labeling. This is another thing that I am guilty of doing. Peyton's my crazy one. Caden's my sweet one. But the thing is, that doesn't mean Peyton isn't sweet or Caden can't be crazy. But kids will grow to attach either positive or negative connotations to labels that we give them. And then they will likely grow up and fulfill those labels. It's hard not to do, but try to avoid labeling your child as one thing or another, and instead, let them grow in their own personalities. Sometimes, though, your child needs to know that their particular behavior was wrong. In these instances, label the behavior, not the child. For example, if your child was rude to you, you can say, it was very rude to roll your eyes at me. Versus saying, you are so rude. Number four, make it a priority to spend one-on-one time with each child. But don't keep a scorecard because this will only foster an atmosphere of competition, which we already discussed we don't want to do. Spend time doing something that your child enjoys. This will show them that they are truly important to you. So, for example... If your child doesn't like baking, don't try to spend one-on-one time with them in the kitchen. Try asking them on a date with mommy and ask them what they want to do and where they want to go and do that. This is also the perfect time to create and maintain open dialogue with your child. Fostering an atmosphere of open dialogue will allow your child to feel more comfortable talking to you about their feelings instead of keeping them bottled up. A quote I've always remembered goes something like this. Listen to your child tell you all of the little insignificant things now so they are comfortable telling you the big and important things later. Number five, and I think this is probably the most important thing that you can do, and that is to love them uniquely, not equally. In order to do this effectively, it's important to understand both their personality and their love language. Let's talk about how to love them uniquely to their personality first. Caden, for example, is much more reserved and passive than Peyton. Peyton usually wants to be the center of attention, and I swear she can talk nonstop. So, to love Peyton uniquely to her personality, it's important that I make sure that I'm listening to her. But, She can easily push her brother out of the conversation and overtalk him or not even take a breath between sentences to allow him to have a chance to join the conversation too. To love Caden uniquely, I need to make sure he too can be involved in the conversation and feel heard. But I have to do this in a way that doesn't make Peyton feel pushed out or like she's not important either. It's a very delicate balancing act. Part of this is understanding your child's love language. A person's love language is basically how they prefer to give and receive love. If you aren't familiar with this, you need to go read 
The Five Love Languages of Children by Ross Campbell and Gary Chapman. But for now, the five love languages are words of affirmation, gifts, acts of service, quality time, and physical touch. And although we can all give and receive love through all of these languages, we have one or two that are primarily dominant. And we get into the habit of giving love in the language we most prefer to receive love, which works great if your child has the same love language as you. But if they don't, then you need to understand their love language and make an intentional effort to show love in their preferred or dominant language. For example, Caden's dominant love language, like I mentioned before, is physical touch. He loves holding my hand or laying his head on my shoulder. When I try to hold Peyton's hand, though, she'll often push it away. If I didn't understand her love language, it could be very easy for me to get frustrated with this and therefore show favoritism towards Caden because his love language is more similar to mine. But because I understand that Peyton feels more loved through words of affirmation, I can instead focus on loving her in this manner. It's important to recognize, though, that just because your child may have a dominant love language does not mean that they still don't need to feel loved through all five of the love languages. I hope our talk about how favoritism manifests, how it can be influenced, and how it can be avoided was super helpful. Let's review quickly the five main things that we can do to avoid favoritism in the first place. Number one, praise their individuality instead of comparing. Number two, create an atmosphere of support between them rather than competition. Number three, avoid labeling. Number four, make it a priority to spend one-on-one time with each child. And number five, Love them uniquely, not equally. Differential treatment in itself isn't bad or unhealthy or even something to be avoided. But being aware of how differential treatment can be perceived as favoritism can help you to recognize some of these natural behaviors that could potentially negatively affect your child's mental health both now and in the future. At the end of the day, we are all just mamas trying to love our children with our whole heart to the best of our ability. So love them hard, love them deeply, and invite God in to fill any cracks that you may have. Because even when we fall short, God does not. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Top Knots and Double Shots podcast. Before you go, I would love to hear from you. If you loved what you heard today, I would so appreciate it if you would drop me a review. And if you had any mega takeaways, share them with your friends, your neighbors, heck, anybody. Share them on your Instagram and your Facebook stories too, and tag me at Partying With Twins. Until next time, ladies, keep your top knots high and your coffee hot, and love the life you're living. Oh,